he's another win away from basically doing a damned United and saying, you can throw all your medals into the bin because <laughs> we've got hammers. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. Hello comrades and you're very welcome to the football spin. It's a football spin on an absolutely glorious Monday morning after the opening weekend of the new Premier League 2021 season. And well, what, what about that for a weekend? Dion Fanning, Ruben Pinder, Nouradine Chowdhury all ready to genuflect at the altar of the master that is Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I, had to, I had to think before I spoke his name. You were just um, going through every Everton manager <laughs> over the last few years. Marco Silva, no. Roberto Martinez, no. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it this time? I forget about Big Sam. Yeah, Big Sam. Well, did they ever? Did they ever feel? Uh, um, did they ever feel hopeful under Big Sam? Uh, maybe, maybe, but uh, I yeah, it's 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 Carlo. Carlo's up next. And, uh, it's what, like the, Amazon, the Tottenham documentary on Amazon is meant to be a Tottenham documentary. Like this is meant to be a football podcast, and very quickly it's becoming the Carlo show. In the same way that All or Nothing is the Jose show. <laughs> well, like I'm, I was as, as I spoke his name there, I thought of one of your phrases, uh, Ruben. Well, one that I've heard from you, but this is just maybe behind the, the rest of the world. Put respect on his name, <laughs> and that's what I wanted to do there. Put respect on his name. My main aim of today was not to get a not to overhype Everton and just keep a lid on it. But I've I've obviously failed miserably I, in the first. I think one hundred seconds of this. I show. think I think your first aim of today's show should be not to piss anyone off because you've uh, <laughs> you, you seem to be very good at that. What's the, what's the latest one? After after Jardin Sancho and uh, <laughs> what was what, what was this week's controversy? Was it um, when you said uh, Liverpool fans were were salty? salty. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah. you've got this habit of just sort of for such a nice chap, you got you've got a habit of pissing people off. <laughs> well, yeah, I think see, there's a there's a creative side to Paddy. There's a you know Paddy is a, you know, we, as we know he's a he's a he's a musician. He's a very talented talented man, and I think sometimes he just enters the world of fantasy, and <laughs> he enters the world of dreams, and uh, and a port, you know tread softly for you tread in my dreams. Like that's what happens when Paddy when when Paddy's dreams interact with with the real world especially the real world of social media it's carnage it is carnage because he's living there and he's creating this fantasy world where liverpool fans are you know raging raging about 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 the everton signings and they're you know up all night and they're just angry about it and and but that's giving paddy a little bit of peace like he thinks yeah we've wound them up this time uh, but it's just a product. It's just a product of that creative mind of his that he's able to uh, imagine this world that doesn't exist so so realistically that he then can sit there and talk about Liverpool fans getting salty about this, and then it, then it, then then he just releases it out into the world. And again, like every work of art, uh, once you throw it out into the world, 
you have to be prepared for what the world gives back. He's and, he's 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 another win away from basically doing a damned United and saying you can throw all your medals into the bin because <laughs> we've got hammers. <laughs> We've gotten into, we've gone up a blind alleyway, but I'm going to reverse that. But first of all, before we do, I will say that I had that Paul Joyce tweet with like just hundreds of Liverpool fans. I'm not saying representative of of the cohort, but anyway, look it. Let's leave it aside and let's talk about Everton and Spurs. And Dion, I'll start with yourself. Look it, having watched that game, it is it's hard not to be very it's hard for Everton fans not to be very optimistic. And Spurs fans not to be very pessimistic because, like, Everton were good, but Spurs were so gutless. It was such a terrible performance by them. Uh, what did you make of the game? Well, I, th- I think you couldn't help but be encouraged by uh, the way Everton played. It was, um, it is obviously, um, it's early days, it's the first weekend of the season, but there was... Uh, a plan, there was uh, cohesion, the signings looked re- really good. Everything about it was was um, was positive. Like nearly, you know, there was, there was so much to be encouraged by if you're Everton. And like uh, when you when we say and when I say it's early days, like that's fine. But actually, it's really important if you're doing what Ancelotti is doing that you actually do start well because that then. Uh, allows you know that that sense that you're going in the right direction to to evolve and to grow and to move forward um and and then up against it in like in complete contrast was um were Tottenham and 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 Jose Mourinho and again a kind of a continuation of uh how things went went so went wrong for for Mourinho last year and again that evidence that uh this was an appalling, a terrible appointment by by Tottenham to bring in Mourinho. Um, like that, that sense from the beginning that if if you know, apart from uh, you know a good you know a, a good character for a for a Amazon Prime documentary, that there is really nothing to commend uh, Mourinho uh, um, to to a club at this stage, and where he is in his career is not where you want to be if you're a club like Tottenham. Um, that's just continued, and I think uh, we're looking at how Mourinho responded to the game. Um, that this could be something that is is gets quite gets quite sour quite quickly. Okay, well, let's, on that, let's hear from Jose Mourinho. This was him speaking to Sky Sports after Everton beats Tottenham Hotspur one 0 Lazy pressure, lazy pressure up front. That's what I'm saying, and that creates unbalance and balance situations for the rest of. Uh, of the team, I could also feel some of my players are not fit. Um, Matt was was struggling to play the way he plays and the way you want him to to play. As as an example, as an example, um, we had also other players that were um, a little bit in trouble by the uh, the physical point of uh, view due to very strange preseasons for some, and in other cases not even not even preseason. But uh, congratulations to. To my dear friend Carlo and uh, and Everton boys. Last question: How do you lift it from here? How do I lift it? Lift your players, yeah. Uh, being honest with them, uh, telling them things that I cannot say to you, but I can say to them. Uh, keep working, and um, not much time to to think because on on Thursday we have a a knockout. We have a game that is going to decide stay in competition or 
or out of competition. So there is not much time to to cry or to complain. Jose Mourinho there speaking to Sky Sports after the game. Ruben, I, I was kind of struck by that. Um, I'm going to, you know, things I'm going to say to them, but I cannot say to you. But, you know, we have a pretty good idea what some of that might be, having watched um, nine episodes of Amazon's documentary about Spurs. Um, how does Jose Mourinho lift that team? And what, what do you think is going to happen next at Spurs? Well, he's going to do more of the same. He's going to tell them to be aggressive. He's going to say the F word a lot. Um, he's going to try to motivate them. But I think, I mean, it is the first game of the season, but it, mm. the signs are really bad already, like really bad. Like I, I feel sorry for the fans that endured him last season and thought, okay, I mean, he's come kind of halfway, not quite halfway through a season, but it's not his team. And, you know, we, we got off to a bad start and he did all right. And to be fair, they finished higher in the table than when he took over. So, you know, fair play. But, the fans that thought after a summer, you know, he, things will get better under him, and they just they just look like the same stodgy, unimaginative team. Um, that I think Gary Neville said it in commentary yesterday. They they play singular passes, and they don't know where the ball's going to go after the net after that one. They just they, the players are almost passing the ball to get rid of the responsibility of having it, rather than to try and make something happen. Um, so. Jose can shout all he wants at his players and say the F word and tell them to be nasty, but he also needs to coach some creativity into that team because they just look completely bereft of ideas going forward. And I actually, I haven't seen episode seven to nine yet, but I have seen a screen grab of a couple of players walking through the tunnel. And I think it might be Delhi saying, um, just fucking hoofing it long and defending or something along those lines and it's like yep yeah, that's what you do now you just make a run in behind and hope that Toby can pick you out and there's nothing else so yeah it's very worrying I I, I think they'll kind of they'll like grind out a few wins here or there but I can see it getting very toxic around Christmas if they're not significantly better than they were yesterday um, and then it's just a matter of like how long Daniel Levy leaves it before he kind of admits that he made a mistake because I know it's the first game of the season, but as I say, it's it looks really, really bad. Like they were dreadful yesterday. I think it's interesting uh that idea that, you know, he's gonna the th- things he can only say behind closed doors that he can't say on television. Um I wonder how long Mourinho even holds to that because there's one thing we know from uh, certainly from you know late the late Mourinho career is that he he is quite happy to say in front of the television cameras uh, things about about his players and even yesterday uh, <laughs> um, there were you know he wasn't he wasn't slow in you know even in, in that interview he's talking about Matt Doherty not being fit now I know he's doing it in the context of you know they haven't had a chance to really work in preseason. Um, but it's um it is one of the fault lines for Mourinho uh that when things do go wrong that it's uh it is it, he isn't slow to um to to start blaming people and to start uh scapegoating people. So um I don't know how long that will hold either. Also it's interesting what Ruben says, I think, in terms of it being Christmas and it getting very ugly. I wonder how 
and in what way stadiums being closed um and you know even if they're open a little bit what way state you know the fact the stadiums are closed could affect uh the you know the basically the career of, of Mourinho at Tottenham because uh if that had been a standard opening day of the season um Tottenham would probably have left to booze. You know, there would have been a crowd, uh, a huge crowd at their new stadium booing them off. And <clears throat> does the absence of that protect, you know, protect a manager somewhat? Or is, uh, is it then that the club starts listening to, well, we can't tell what the fans inside the stadium think. Let's go on Twitter and see what people are saying. And uh, which could accelerate the, uh, the end for Mourinho. But it is one of those things that um, that context, that sense of, uh, supporters going one way or another, um, like the absence of that will be will be an interesting dynamic. Uh, maybe they'll have to when they let fans in when they're letting like three thousand fans in. They'll have to like when they do with a question time audience. They'll have to select it based on you know you have to get a right balance of pro and anti Mourinho fans and allow them into the ground. Um, but it's uh, no, I think it's I, I think it's going to get it is going to get ugly. He's got, it, it will definitely extend his stay at Tottenham because whether clubs will admit it or not, if, if there are boos after every game, after every home game and it get and the fans clearly like just don't want the manager there, then that will play a part in, in the manager's future. Um and without any fans there to boo him, then Daniel Levy can ignore the fact that fans will be growing more tired and tired every week. Uh, at watching his team play stodgy crap football, but Mourinho is very good. Uh, at the same time, he is very good at getting um, supporters on his side to begin with. Like you know, and and for for quite some time, you know, look at the protests at Chelsea when he left. United fans were uh, were pretty pretty vocal in defending him, where a lot of them were for quite a while. Um, so. It may be like that. That you're probably right, but it could be that if there was, uh, if there was a whole group of supporters there, I think you'll you'll you pick this up a little bit uh, online that there are supporters saying, you know, this squad needed an overhaul. This is not uh, Jose Mourinho's problem necessarily. Like it, 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 it the, the roots of it are deeper than that, and there's probably something in that. But whether supporters would be inclined to um believe in him for because of whatever his you know his um personal magnetism is um is something that they won't be you won't you won't glimpse that now because there won't be supporters there yeah you're definitely right i think there are definitely sympathies there for him um among the fan base i just think that that group is probably smaller among tottenham fans now after seeing Mourinho at Man United and his second spell at Chelsea, how that ended and everything like that. Um, that group of supporters of him is probably smaller than it was at his like previous couple of clubs. Yeah, no, just on Dion's point there I, about Matt Doherty, I felt I had a bit of a sinking feeling for Matt Doherty because in that five-minute interview with Sky, he managed to name-check Doherty twice and not, not in a very good light either time. The second time we just heard there, about his conditioning the first time about his one-on-one chance with Pickford where to be fair Pickford had a very good game and he pulled off a really good save from Matt Doherty I just kind of got a bit of a sinking feeling that Matt Doherty is going to be somebody that Mourinho latches on to for not like he's his big signing but uh latches on to for not the right reasons um Nods your take um you've seen the 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 latter days of the end of the Jose empire 
up close at United. Uh, do you think this is the sort of the beginning of a long, long ending here for for Jose at, at Spurs? I mean, it it doesn't look good, and it and it's starting to look very predictable. And I mean, it's it's easy to forget. It's it's just it's just the first game of the season. So like, if Spurs win the next two games, the the mood will be completely different. Uh, but um, there's little there's little things. I mean, the the thing with all or nothing. Um, watching it, Mourinho is so charming, so enigmatic that you it's very easy to get seduced by him and the idea of of him. Uh, because he's because in 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 sort of in a world of uncertainty, uh, it's great to have someone who seems so full of conviction within themselves and so confident. So it's massively it's massively easy to get seduced by him. But then you watch them play, and then you realise that Mourinho is great as long as he's not managing your club, because it, things get really toxic really quickly. And and this idea, like, it's interesting that that, that both uh, Ruben and Dion were talking about um, how he how he'll say things to them in private and, and how quickly that will become public. Um, to me, like you say, like Dohota, um already, like in the same way, in All or Nothing, it was quite comical in the way that the that the physio would come to uh, Mourinho with bad news. And Mourinho almost gave, first of all, didn't give him the time of day, treated him really disrespectfully in terms of his, his body language and almost made a personal grudge against him when he's just a, a messenger about bad news that he doesn't want to hear. And you worry, is that is that going to be the same thing with someone like Dota, where where he he was bought as an attacking uh, a wing back and and somebody who would play very high and get into the box and score goals, and he's he's missed that one chance, or, or, or it did did perfectly fine, but it was saved. And Mourinho is not happy about that, and that's why he's reacted in that way. Because other than that, what did he do wrong? Um, and 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 again, like with uh, with uh, the idea of uh, of not criticizing anyone publicly, he has on on more than one occasion in the document in the Amazon documentary, he 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 called he called Deli Ali laser to his face, and sort of almost did that to sort of uh, get his back up and get him working. It's interesting that in in this game he he was criticizing the. The lazy pressing, and and something needs to be done. He wouldn't name names. He was saying it's tactical, but then the player he brought off was 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 Deli Alley, and this this idea, like the, the the reporter, the person who was speaking to him, like almost uh, gave him an invitation to sort of say that there was a lack of pressing, but but Mourinho corrected him, said there wasn't a lack of pressing, there was bad pressing, which is almost worse because it seems to suggest that. It's it's a fraud behavior of pretending to press, uh, given the sort of uh, like 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 almost going through the motions of like I'm doing it, whereas you're not really doing it. So it, it, again, that's another example of where he's being quite transparent about what he's pissed off about, which is a which is a really bad sign for Spurs. And and this idea that they need a striker now, again, it, it links back to Doherty because Mourinho watching that match, he won't he won't sort of see. Tottenham as being this disjointed team that uh, that weren't playing sort of in in a very coherent way, he will see it as in we had a chance and we missed it, and he thinks the solution is getting somebody who can score those goals. Whereas, whereas it's it's sort of uh, Everton on the other hand was so cohesive, such a team, and and controlled the game, 
and and it's just that sort of comparison is so interesting because um that's how Mourinho thinks Mourinho thinks it's 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 just having like a dead another another striker who can finish and if you if you looked at both teams if you looked at Spurs and you looked at Everton and 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 somebody said to you which team is it that's a settled team that have been playing together for a while and which team is it that is giving like three or four three or four key players in key positions a debut you would you would 100% say it's Spurs that've got the new players in because they're not playing as a team and they they haven't quite clicked whereas Everton phenomenally managed to make those players all fit in like as if they've been playing for for years mm. I like the fact you're drawing us back to the light, Nas. We've we've spent enough time in the darkness. Let's get back to the light, the light, the, the, the light that lights up the world at the moment. Uh, Don Carlo Ancelotti and his merry men. Um, okay, let's hear Carlo Ancelotti talking about one of those beacons. The probably the, the beacon of them all, Mister James Rodriguez. This is Carlo speaking to Sky Sports after the game. James, you said beforehand he wasn't hundred percent. Um, you've worked with him a lot. How good is he going to be in this league? Um, I don't know. I think we, we, we consider the physical aspect. Hamas uh, is not the fastest player in the world, but uh, he has a lot, more, a lot of quality, and so we have to to use him. To show his quality, he did. He's not a winger. He's not a right winger, but he can come inside. And when he comes inside and they receive the ball between lines, it's really dangerous. Is that the one worry with him? Not on today's evidence, but just getting used to the the pace and physicality of the Premier League. No, they are not worried about the physicality eh? because if I am worried about this, I could sign Usain Bolt and not Hamas. Uh, yeah, Carlo Ancelotti there speaking to Sky Sports after the game. That's just really, that's just really funny uh, assessment there of James Rodriguez and a very careful assessment, Dion, which is at odds with um, some of the excitement from Everton fans, myself included. But that's what makes Carlo Ancelotti one of the best managers in the world. I think. <laughs> you just answer that question yourself, Freddie. You've, you've, you've made a statement there. You probably should just, yes, it is what makes him one of the best managers in the world. Um, I, uh, well, no, I think I think it's interesting then as well. Like, I, I think it's important that uh, people don't get carried away. I think that's what Ancelotti is is trying to do because uh, at the start of that interview, there was the interviewer even said it's only it's only one game, I suppose. Um, like as if like I suppose I have to acknowledge that it's only one game, but I'd rather just we all got carried away, um, and. Uh, no, he does have the, he does have the potential to be um, a really important signing for Everton, uh, and the signs are very very good. Um, uh, and he brings something different, and he brings a bit of vision. I I do think there's like his, uh, you know the the lack of pace might be something that uh, becomes more notable against teams that aren't as. Uh, as lazy, effectively as, as Spurs were. So, um, but I, I think there's a there he he is going to bring an awful lot for, for to Everton. It's interesting when you uh, like he pointed out. No, you were just saying there that like stuck all the players into the team and it worked for Everton. And it's like you know in a week essentially a week went by. He brought in Decora, he brought in Allen, he brought in Hamas, and I think um, Ancelotti in that interview talks about the fact you just put good players into a team and. 
they sort of figure it out. Um, and I was I was kind of surprised. Well, was, I think everybody's surprised that Hammers played for almost 90 minutes in that game. Although for the last 20, he did look to be absolutely out on his legs. But it's interesting to see him play in the Premier League. I suppose Spurs gave him that space, but there was, as he as he caught in each time, and he gave that diagonal ball to Richarlison, which is a glimpse of what I suppose Everton are going to do a lot this season. Ham is cutting inside to play like that diagonal into Richarlison's path and him to have the fullback one-on-one, which he had with Doherty for most of the game. It was it reminded me of, you know that meme, the cat, the ginger cat, that looks to be like curling a delicious oh, fruit yeah. cake top corner on the snow it's just the way that he kicks the ball it's it's a thing of beauty um were you surprised that uh, Hamez started played for so long and 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 really did show up as like someone that looked like he could fit into the Premier League I think um I think the whole team was really impressive um and again like if it was a case if it was a case where Hamez came in and had this sparkling game where he scored a goal and did like an amazing through ball, um, that would that would obviously catch the eye and it would uh, feed into this uh, this narrative of like this amazing player. But I think I think what was more impressive was the fact that he just felt at home um, and felt like part of the team. And and everything fitted together. And again, like you can't look at one player in isolation and kind of think, oh, he 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 made the difference, or or, or he didn't. And it's interesting the way that Ancelotti, because because it's quite funny, like that that um, Usain Bolt um, line felt like a prepared uh, sort of a witticism that he, that somebody had sort of slipped him or he thought of himself and wanted to get out there in in, in a conversation because like he was first of all he was asked a question. About about Hamez, and then he brought up the physical nature of the league himself. And then when he was when he was invited to expand on that on that, on that physical element, he sort of said, "Oh, don't be, like I'm not interested in physicality." Do you know what I mean? And then came out with this line. But he obviously has thought about things because he's not just bought Hamez and, and thought, "Right, come into this team that's underperformed last season, uh, do some miracles yourself." He has he has. Given him legs around him, he's 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 brought these other two midfielders who did phenomenally well. Like Allen was was amazing throughout the game um, and was rightly man of the match. The Corey he he had a good game, but again, if you look at moments in games, there was that there was that moment when Spurs looked like they were going to have a counter attack, and and De Corey snuffed it out. And and it's it's little moments like that, that that are just almost as important as goals. And so he 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 immediately served a purpose and and sort of uh, justified why he why he was in the team. And again, like the thing with Everton is is we've we've seen them be a team that's in control, but it's been a team that's defensively been in control and defensively been organised and knew what they were doing. What's different about this Everton? Uh, judging from this one game, and it's quite exciting, is I think this is the first time that I've watched Everton in in sort of recent years where they look they look in control with the ball. They they felt comfortable with the ball. Everyone knew what they were doing, um, and really, you look at that game and you kind of think, as as well as they played, and and obviously one one sort of uh, uh, factoring that is how poorly Spurs plays. Played, but this, this, there is, there is room for improvement with this Everton team, even on the weekend. So, you look at someone like um, Rickarlson, 
So, so, so even in terms of uh, you look at the stats and he had a great game, but he had some wasteful moments. He, uh, as well as the sort of that 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 goal that he missed that he should have scored after he went around the keeper, there was other moments where he tripped over the ball. Uh, he 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 did a great run and then sort of wasted it. And you kind of think if those kind of things start to click, this this is a team that makes sense as a whole, which which obviously Spurs are the very opposite of. I think. Um, we're being very, I, I agree, Everton were very, very good yesterday. But I think the contrast of watching Spurs be so disjointed and unimaginative means that giving Carlo Ancelotti a lot of credit for doing quite very obvious and sensible things, um, like playing players that are going to run, make runs that James can find. But, I mean, if Mourinho doesn't do it, so maybe it's not that obvious. But, yeah, I thought I thought they were brilliant as well. Um there was a couple of chances that Richardson should have scored, especially there was a header that Hamas clipped to the far post and he just kind of cushioned it out and that was a brilliant chance. But that combination, as Paddy said, is going to be very big um, this season. And I, I thought the goal itself, it came from a free kick, so there's no kind of, not much genius involved in it. But the cross and the header, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a, a, de- a cross so deep connected so well with a header like that in a in a really long time. I thought that was like for a set piece goal that got headed in, it was really, really nice to watch. Do you know what I mean? It was it was it was pro it reminded me of Duncan Ferguson. Just mm. just just the way he absolutely hammered it. Yeah. It was- yeah, no. Thump and header. Um okay, look at we've probably had enough Everton now. Let's move on. <laughs> I think there are there are other teams played in the Premier League this weekend. Um but yeah, look at let's look at this for a stat. What about this for a stat? William, the first player to assist two goals on his Premier League debut for Arsenal since Ray Parler in August 1992 against Liverpool. Um, I guess the William signing for Arsenal was one that a free transfer, but with lots of money involved for William in terms of his wages, was one that raised a few eyebrows because he is 32 now. He's obviously proven Premier League quality. But that was a brilliant start for him. And again, it feels like it is only one game, I suppose. It does look at Arsenal like Mikel Arteta has got a handle on this team and that there's a bit of a revolution happening. Big time, yeah. It's it's actually really weird to watch an Arsenal team where every player appears to know exactly what their responsibilities are and feels confident in doing them. Um, something that I noticed watching them against Fulham was so the third goal that Aubameyang uh, smashed into the top corner was basically identical to the goal that he scored against Liverpool in the Community Shield. Um, it's kind of the they 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 invite pressure at the back by passing it. They pass it around in defence, and you know the proper football men have their issues with that, but evidently it works because they invite pressure, they play through it, and then. Not not really a counter attack, but then suddenly they're up the other end of the pitch and bodies are flooding forward, and it's and he scored exactly the same goal. And even the other players around him were in the same position positions. It's a couple of uh, someone did a side by side with two photos, and Tierney and Maitland Niles are in exactly the same positions as they were when he scored that goal against Liverpool. So clearly Arteta's been working really hard on the training pitch tactically, and yeah, and it and it's paying off like they all look so much more confident and composed with the ball, especially players like Xhaka, who for for so long at Arsenal has been given this role of like anchoring a midfield, but with 
with a dysfunctional defense behind him and like changing partners in front of him next to him. And now it all looks more settled. They all look like they know what they're doing. And William, who, you know, is is in his 30s, was pre-transfer. There was some eyebrows raised over that. He was really good. Like, you can see why they bought him now. He's got he's like still got bundles of energy and played that clipped pass over to Aubameyang um, for the third goal. And I mean, he, he got a, he technically got a, he got a fantasy football assist for the first one. And Martin Keown said, there's his vision or something. It was like, well. It wasn't really vision, was it? He just tried to shoot and the keeper scrambled it over to Lacazette. But I was impressed by him. And even and again, Thabios, when he came on, he looked like he had a point to prove, um, having just rejoined them on loan and not started the game. So if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be cautiously very optimistic this season that they're that they're gonna they're gonna have some fun at least, which is more than you can say for recent seasons. I picked out Willian there, um, Dion and Naz, because he's exactly the kind of player Arsene Wenger never would have signed, given his age profile. But Arteta obviously looks at things differently and just sees a value for what he can bring to that team, which is has been for so long inexperienced and just a bit undercooked. Think that's fair? Um, I don't know if that's fair in terms of Wenger. I think he probably did... Uh try to bring in experience um once in a while it's just the player the signings weren't uh um good enough or you know I, I don't think he i don't think he was against um what what age was arteta say when he joined when he joined arsenal for example like that was he was probably 27 28 okay he's not you know but it's it's uh he wasn't he wasn't entirely driven by kind of getting the, the sort of the young players to come through and um, but it just, I think, but I, I do think now there is um, a collective sense of purpose. As Ruben said, there is a team that knows what, what their manager wants them to do and what they should be doing. And uh, the next step from last year with Arteta was always going to be, right, can he, he, he sounds very persuasive. He is making, he's saying the right things. He is, he is setting the right tone in terms of what he wants from players. And what he wants them to do, and now can the next the next step then required is that the players look as if they're responding to what he wants them to do. And again, it is very early; it's Fulham, um, but there was there was a lot of signs there that uh, they will do that. Nas, anything to add in terms of Arsenal? Do you how do you how do you how do you like what you see? That was very New York, Brooklyn. <laughs> How do you like what you see? Um, I thought. I mean, I mean, again, like with, with Arsenal, it's, it's it's a little bit hard to tell because they and maybe not last season because they were so bad uh, with the previous manager. But like they they can be amazing, and then the next game they they struggle. So it's hard to see. So I think I think you'd have to see a few games before you see a pattern emerging. But um, I think I think if nothing else. I think, to, like, the end of last season, obviously, the weekend's game, I think it, it kind of points to the fact that Arsenal can beat anyone on their day. They've got the players, uh, they've got a basis and uh, and, and attacking options to, to beat anyone. Uh, like, like they, they do have that potential. It's, um, it's more a case of, are they consistent? Um, is, is there perhaps... Uh, two or three players that they rely too much on, and also for games in which 
um, teams decide to sit sit there and say, right, basically play through us, um, how they'll how they'll deal with that because one of the things that uh, has been uh, well, one of the things that sort of has been pointed out about this team um, is that there's a little bit of a, a lack of creativity in midfield, perhaps, um, and perhaps that's why. Um, Perhaps that's why they're keen on 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 uh, on. Uh, is it Awa? Um, is that how you pronounce it, Ruben? I don't know. I don't know why I'm going to foreign. Like I don't know why you're the foreign correspondent in terms of the pronunciation. But what is it? Is it Awa? Yeah. Um. Maybe, maybe that's why Arteta sort of identified him as a player that he really wants. But obviously, money's an issue. But um, that'd be interesting for, for teams that just sit back and say, right, get through us. Um. It'll be interesting to see whether they've got the solutions for that for that particular uh, problem. Okay, well, let's move on to let's move on. Look, things looking good for Arsenal. Let's move on to uh, the Saturday evening game, which saw Liverpool host Leeds. Obviously, this game was very much billed as Klopp versus Bielsa. And in fairness, in terms of the game, it was one of the best games of football I've seen in a long, long time. Just purely for entertainment, it was bonkers. Like end-to-end defences all over the shop. I heard commentators saying, well, this is just pre-season, you know, um, tiredness and all that kind of, that uh, sort of attitude, or, excuse me, edit there. Uh, this is sort of pre-season and players aren't ready. We didn't see that in other games though. And like, I think towards the end of last season, I made a point about Virgil van Dijk that he was beginning, there were signs that he was maybe not at the same level he was in terms of his men- mental state and his alertness couple of mistakes Dan Lovren has gone so there probably isn't anybody else to to make mistakes and to point to (laughs) and we saw a big clangor from Van Dijk against Leeds yeah um I I I think we did see in other games evidence that it was it was still pre-season uh so I wouldn't be worrying uh if I was a Liverpool fan yet I think it's uh um I thought the the game was exceptional, and it was just one. Of, it was one of those open games. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot to do with you know some of the defensive mistakes and Van Dijk, uh, um, getting caught out. But it's um, I think it's it's I I wouldn't I would be very reluctant to say to spot a trend and say that Virgil Van Dijk is somehow um, uh, in decline or um, uh, but I I think I think there's there is there are moments and the mistake came from that sense where he does he does take risks and he does um try and do things that uh sometimes he's going to get caught out and he hasn't been getting he hasn't got caught out on those things with Liverpool much um but you know it happened on Saturday and again i wonder <clears throat> uh if the fact that these are happening now and happened a bit towards the end of last season uh or the last season you know, Liverpool were so far ahead at that stage, but equally, um, playing in an empty stadium, I think, has got some has to have something to do with players taking risks that they might not otherwise take. Because every every bit of awareness that they, every sense they use, is heightened by the fact that they're also alert to kind of crowd noises and people uh, um, Aware that they're there, this is a moment of danger rather than a moment of, of relative safety, and all that is gone. So, um, you know, if there was a full crowd at Anfield, would they have been al- alerting 
Van Dyke more to the fact that there was, you know, there was a player uh, right behind him. Um, so I, 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 I just think it, it was, a, it was a fantastic game. It was, uh, uh, and it was very encouraging from a Leeds point of view, the way they played, the way they approached it. Um, and, uh, and then equally, I suppose from Liverpool point of view, even if there were penalties involved, Salah's hat-trick is something uh, to, be, to, to welcome. And I think it, again, underlined the, um, his importance. And I think there were people uh, saying, I think was it was it Carragher, I think, said it on the, on the, on the co-commentary about how he's sort of underappreciated by Liverpool fans. I think we've talked about this before. He re- like there is there's something about Salah that people take for granted. And I think it's maybe that he, he, misses, he, he misses a lot of chances or he seems to be casual or selfish, or various things. But he is uh, such an important player for Liverpool, and um, I think he, he thrives on goals in the sense that he, uh, the more goals he gets, the more relaxed he is in, in how he plays. So I think it was very good, good for Liverpool that he, he started the way he started. And what did you think of Firmino? Just because uh, Salah's importance to me seems to be more pronounced when Firmino still doesn't look like he was the player he was say a season before last he had that chance at 3-3 which it was a very big chance for a centre forward it should be a goal and he missed it he kind of it's papered over by the fact that almost in the next play there's a penalty and Salah scores but Firmino doesn't look to be at it at the moment and hasn't been for maybe really? six to nine I months don't, I don't think that's I think he, Firmino was uh, I think he had a spell the season before where he wasn't at it I wouldn't say last season he was uh, uh I think he, you know, he he was he, he was really important for Liverpool last season. So, um, I uh, I I think he he didn't play well uh, on Saturday, but I wouldn't really. I think the, I think the the nature of the Liverpool front three is that there's always somebody, um, because their standards are so high. First of all, there, there's always somebody who seems to be performing below expectations, um, or not doing as much, but. Uh, I, I, like it is, it is, you know, it, like Liverpool are going into the season so far anyway without any signings, and that obviously is a source of um, disproportionate angst from their supporters. Um, but the front three is, you know, that front three is hugely important for them. And what about Leeds then, chaps, in terms of? I always think it's a bad place to be when you're getting like plaudits and garlands and so much praise and you've lost and it's 4-3 and like like you know that Bielsa is going to play the way he does but if they play that open in games and of course they're at Anfield Liverpool they're not going to become they're not going to be facing teams of that caliber every week or pretty much any other week so there is that sense that like if they play like that they couldn't win games but it, there's in the Premier League as we know a lot of games are on knife edge and the difference between, you know, like even in that game, they should, they could have drawn that game and they didn't. But that if they play that open in the Premier League, that they're in danger of losing um, games that they should draw or drawing games that they should win. I mean, is that been a bit negative? I, th- I think that's a little bit harsh. Yeah, I think they should be very encouraged by this performance. Like they were playing Liverpool. If they play like that against everybody else, then they'll win more games than they lose, I think. Um, like they, they, the way they held the ball, it, like their defense was a little bit um, ropey at times. But it's worth considering that uh, 
that back four had never played together before because um, Robin Koch is new and the guy who partnered him replacing Liam Cooper, Liam Cooper I can't remember his name but um, so yeah they, they that defence hadn't had any time playing together before but I thought going forward they looked absolutely brilliant Jack Harrison especially like his first goal the pass from Phillips and the t- couple of touches around Trent were just absolutely unreal so I know they lost 4-3 and they could on a different day have got a point but that performance, I'd be very, very encouraged by that if I was a Leeds fan. And I, I think if they play like that all, all the time, then they should, they should finish like comfortably mid-table. Okay, the um, obviously still time to get the big name players in the door and the uh, transfer speculation. Hot off the the old transfer speculation teletext page. What was it? What was the teletext transfer rumor page? Forgotten now. Three something or other. Three oh two and one four oh. Um, yeah. Depending on what channel you were looking at, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I think ITV was one of four zero. Well, this one will just say uh, United in for top La Liga star. Dial one eight seven three four seven. Calls cost ninety three pence per minute. Um, but we know because we live in the internet age that that top Premier League La Liga star is Gareth Bale. Now is Gareth Bale to Manchester United? Why not? I mean. Partly because he's he's a golfer now, um, rather <laughs> rather than a footballer. But I mean, it's it's one of those stories that you kind of know is eighty percent likely to be bullshit. But then Manchester Manchester United being who they are, Edward Edward would being who he is, you kind of think don't rule it out just because it's the for a team who struggles to get the most simple deals over the line. Um and drags everything on forever, and then towards the end of a towards the end of a sort of tr- a transfer window, um, realizes they can't get Haaland, so then scrambles about about for like Bournemouth strikers and and uh, strikers from China. Like it, it would, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they'll just think, okay, Real Madrid want to get rid of this player, evidently desperate to get rid of him. They they will not stand in their way to get him. Um, it'll be a big headline. Let's go for it. I, ju- I just think I think it's the quintessential Ed Woodward signing, and 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 it and it, it worries me. And the thing is, like he he could he could still sort of uh, contribute something, but it would be in spite of all logic rather than because of it. it. And and it would just be a massively massively Manchester United signing. So it is. I wouldn't even rule out if people keep on talking about it on Twitter. Uh, it'll 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 just it'll happen. Because of that, because Ed Woodward will just be bored in his office and, and kind of think, oh, gee, it's starting to make sense in my head. Uh, so yeah, stop talking about it, everyone. It's of it's such bollocks. Like, <laughs> not happening, is it? It's so obviously like, oh, look at us. We're looking at a different winger. Lower your price, Dortmund. It's just <laughs> not happening. Not happening. Although he would be, he would be much cheaper in the transfer fee. Like theoretically, he'd only cost like twenty mil, but then you'd have yeah. to pay, him, you know, six hundred grand a week or whatever obscene figure it is. And he's thirty-one, so you know, look, if it happens, I'll I'll hold my hands up, but it's not happening. It's weird how much Gareth Bale has curated that whole "I couldn't give a fuck about football um, anymore" sort of attitude and persona with his you know, glorious sort of um, embracement of the golf course. But maybe that's just so he can get out of Madrid and when he gets to somewhere like United, he'll, he'll blaze the trail again. I think he's given up. 
I think, <laughs> and, and, and and I rate that. I fucking rate that. Like, yeah, like yeah. You, you you had like Real Madrid who who have treated players like fucking wank rags. I mean, there was no need for that sort of comparison. But I, I apologize. But, but but like but just like these these disposable things, <laughs> and, and 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 basically. Like now they're just getting somebody who's who's sort of flipped it around and sort of and sort of said I'm going to take the piss out of you and and and, and like I, I quite enjoyed the do you know the whole thing about sort of Barcelona were interested in Wijnaldum and now it looks as if uh, he's staying at Liverpool and and there's been reports in Spain that are a bit peeved saying oh it looks as if Wijnaldum was just using Barcelona to to get his deal at Liverpool fucking good. Because that's what you've been doing for ages. You've been using the media. You've been sort of like playing these games. So like, I I, I love that. So like, it's a little bit like Mourinho in that, like, I respect what Bale is doing as long as it doesn't happen to me and to my club. Fair enough. Um, before we go, I I just had a horror flashback there to my one and only time to phone one of those football transfer lines. I mean, have you ever phoned one of those lines? So just to remind, it was on Teletext and CFAX, and they'd just give you a little nugget of whatever the story was. And the one that I rang on was something like Everton linked with top Newcastle star. And I, it was 1994-5. I thought it was Kobe Davijinola. Um, somebody good anyway. I'm, I'm think it was Ginola, and um, I, I, I rang that number. It was like premium ninety five pences or cent, whatever a second, a minute, I should say. And they pick up and they say, "Hello and <laughs> welcome to the transfer hotline." Anyway, the fucking player was Mark Hottiger, the shittest, <laughs> shittest right back that you could imagine, who went on, to be fair, they're on the ball because he did actually sign for Everson for £50,000 at the time. At a time when, like, £50,000 was, it was nothing, even in 1995. Anyway, that's my experience of that. Be careful, those phone numbers that you, <laughs> that you phone, kids. Um, all right. Look, that's our that's it. That's it for us. Um, we didn't get to talk about the French league. There's all sorts of madness going on there, and one of the best goals I've ever seen from Cardona oh, from Brest. If you haven't seen it, just get to Twitter or wherever you'll see it. Type in type in his name, Cardona. Um, beautiful sideways um, scissor kick in in slow motion. Beautiful camera angle as well, just to see it go in. Dion and Nas and Ruben, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, we'll be back with more football spin later in the week. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to never miss a show. All right, talk soon. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow, bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Ollie Gunner, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes, then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics... Coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave.